Come on. They're right there. Let's go. Move, 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 move. This episode of Choices Not Chances podcast is sponsored by Louisiana Gun Shop. Located on Highway 90 West in Broussard, Louisiana, just south of Lafayette. For more information, stay tuned at the end of this episode. This is Choices Not Chances podcast with Ryan and Matt. I'm your co-host, Matthew Charette. Sitting next to me is Ryan Rogers. Ryan. All right, guys. Hey, thanks for coming back. And as always, if you see something from this episode that resonates, something that you think needs to be mission critical and pushed out to everybody, push it out. Don't be selfish with the information. Recently, we had Gunnar LaRose, the senior gunner in the Marine Corps, on the show. He's also part of the Close Combat Lethality Task Force. He joined the show to talk about the new force design topics that have been rather divisive. Towards the end of the episode, we discuss human performance training resources such as VR and simulators offered by companies such as conflict kinetics and immersion some of the op, uh, some my opinion is that the vast utility that there's vast utility in the uses of virtual reality and simulation alike this morning our guest is mr michael mccormick he's the ceo of eolion where his mission is to enhance the performance of the world's most elite teams by turning bleeding edge technology into mission critical capabilities Michael's areas of expertise include government acquisitions, business analytics, artificial intelligence, virtual reality, augmented reality, and military and law enforcement domains with focus on improving situational awareness and reducing human error rates. Today we're going to learn together what this technology can offer now and what it looks to offer in the coming years. Michael, thanks for coming out this morning and, uh, and taking the time to bring us up to speed. Uh, appreciate having you out, man. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Looking forward to uh, talking a little bit about the future, art of the possible, and where we're taking this thing. Yeah, man. So let's just get straight into it. Um, and we're, we're gonna we're gonna make our way back up to where the, where we left off here. But I, I want to know where you come from, um, the family culture, where you were raised, you know how you grew up, siblings, uh, things of that nature. And then I want to kind of work into how we got in this area and how how yeah. you, how you and I are kind of sitting here. No doubt. So I was raised in an Army family. My dad was an Army officer, a captain most of my life. We lived somewhere new every two years. And I think I was about seven years old when dad showed me this uh, tool he had called a computer. And uh, on this computer, he had some software where uh, he could type in a fake battle and essentially could say, enemy has 10,000 troops and I got 20,000 and I got these assets and uh, I expected a war game like something from the movies to start after he clicked play. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, when it was all said and done, all I saw was a bunch of statistics, and it was like, yeah, you're going to win, but there's a 3% chance of casualty, risk of force is this, risk of man. I'm like, what the heck? Um, so <laughs> from that point, um, you know, I'm playing video games and stuff where I could set things like that and actually see it play out. So I was probably like seven or nine years old or something when I started seeing the value for commercial technology within the military. Um, I went – my mom was a nurse. Uh, so growing up, there was always this humanitarian side of things. She was always dealing with, uh, you know, retired vets from Vietnam times. She was working in the VAs while my dad was moving around. So I had a real close tie to the veteran community. And um, throughout my, you know, young childhood, I was real exposed to technology just because everywhere I would go, somewhere new, uh, I would have to pick up my own hobbies and, and find something to dive into. Sure, and, sure. Uh, 
that occupied me. So I was, you know, go to the library, I'd read about hydraulics, and the next day I'd, I'd try to build a <laughs> hydraulic <laughs> system for my my go my go pad or something. Um, Dad was really helpful growing up. He wasn't a genius, but he was one of those kind of guys that uh, if he set his mind to it, he would figure it out. Sure. Um, whether it was learning how to uh, like tile floors or, or sheetrock a house or fix a, a roof after a hurricane. Um, you know, I remember him learning how to run chainsaws. He'd never cut down trees before and shit, but at the end of the day, he figured it out, right? He bought that book from Home Depot and um, watching him over time, I realized that you may not you know, you may not think you can do something, but if you, if you just continue down that path long enough, you're going to be able to do it mm. as long as you're half smart and you just are curious. So there's this, a little a little bit of value system that came from both my my parents um, with respect to being relentless and mm. just never quitting and, figure, and and also being relentlessly curious, right? So that curiosity of, uh, you know, I'm always asking dad, like, hey, what's this mean? What's this? What? And he'd be like, go look in the encyclopedia and come back and talk to me about it. And then we can talk, right? Mm, so, mm-hmm. And uh, it wasn't kind of the asshole who would not talk about it after. I'd, I'd learn, and I'd go back and talk, and he'd be like, all right, now go read this. You know, go go talk to my friend. He, You know, I'm asking him how RPGs work one day, and he's like, go talk to my you know, my, my <laughs> colleague who runs, who he runs the RPGs, you know, and the weapons, because I think he had given me a tour of the weapons um, cages back in, in uh, Germany when I was like 11. But uh, he had a he had a pretty important role. Uh, he was working with uh, denuclearization of uh, Germany. And during that time, um, I didn't realize the, uh, you know, the critical nature of what he was doing and um, went on to go and went on to go into business right i went to went to college and um didn't go the military route out of high school i, I went rtc mm-hmm, in college mm-hmm. I, I wanted to do uh, i wanted to fly jets to be completely honest i think i drank the, Fuck yeah. uh, i drank the top gun kool-aid and was ready to fly f-18s and hey look man that's something I, that's something if i was to do everything again i'd do it the exact same way i'd done it but if i had a third time i'd have went to be a pilot yeah, yeah man i mean can you I, imagine Ah. You live the life. I mean, these guys, they, 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 but the other side of it, I realized that they're, um, they're almost, I don't want to, uh, I'm not going to do any Air Force bashing, but um, <laughs> um, when I was in the Air Force RTC program, it was just a, a certain certain persona and um, and mentality that I didn't align with. It didn't track with my, with my value systems, didn't track with who I, who I really wanted to be as a human. Um, going through that officer program and you know fast forward uh can i can i get you to tilt your camera lower your oh, camera yeah. just a little bit when you set back yeah. that, that's perfect set right down. there yep go ahead yeah so um so going through the air force rtc program i started to realize like you know this wasn't necessarily the the group of guys that i wanted to spend my life with mm. I, I was really adamant about winning with the right people um and at the end of the day i, I wasn't uh I wasn't ready to make the commitment to the Air Force, mm-hmm, um, so mm-hmm. I, I didn't. I decided to not commission after three years in RTC, two or three years in RTC. Um, backed out, and uh, I got into the publishing world. I started publishing a magazine, and and I, and I really, I created my tribe of people that I really vibed with. Right, the people mm-hmm. that had the same culture, the same vision, the same values. Um, guys that were relentless like me. Guys that would push the envelope, do things different. And um, we pushed a magazine for a couple years, made some money off it. But in the end, the publishing business wasn't really that great. But what what we realized was like all I wanted to do was work with like minded people towards a a common objective. And, um, you know, somehow along the way, I found soft and SOCOM. 
and mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. I consider that that group of uh, you know rebels my 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 family now in a way that I can identify with them in a, in a way that conventional and, and big Air Force uh, never really attracted me mm-hmm, to. Mm-hmm. So um, it's something special over there that uh, has attracted me to that community. But it's a it's been a long winding road that led me from like growing up in an army family to supporting Tier One Soft on like you know technology and there's been a lot of twists and turns in between sure um happy to answer any questions uh, yeah so um I- exactly who are you working with air force off or everybody so um our contract is with socom hq okay so the the capabilities being fielded across all soft components um there are a portion of the community that we deal with most often and those are our uh, our tier twos, so special forces, irregular warfare, army SF ODAs yep. are really our uh, our focus. Those expeditionary teams, but uh, certainly um, from all the way from Air Force to uh, down to them. Sure, sure. And so, um, okay, let's just if you can give me uh, five minutes or ten minutes of uh, what your system, the RTAC is doing right now what is it doing for them what can it do for them right now and then after that we'll get into where it's headed yeah so rtac is uh, really a software app that you can install on your phone or your head mounted display uh, and it allows you to see a digital replica of the battlefield uh, essentially a, a hologram in front of you as a 3d model with live data mm-hmm. whether it's blue force tracking whether it's um, you know, hostile data coming from your Intel shop or, or otherwise. And you're able to see that in real time as a team. So, uh, Ryan, if me and you were in the headsets right now, we'd be able to, to, to look at that AO and start developing a mission plan or start rehearsing that plan uh, based on what we had already planned out. So that the beauty of that multi-user, that, that metaverse type plays, is it's the same sandbox. Mm-hmm. And we're playing in it from 5,000 miles away or whatever, right? So when you move a blocking position or I move a, a landing zone, we're all going to see that. And we're going to be able to, um, you know, get that shared picture a lot easier than looking at a two-dimensional map uh, mm-hmm. or or or, uh, or having to fly everybody in this, into one place. So um, what we realized, though, is a lot of times the customers don't have these head-mounted displays yet or the proper phones. So we started offering this solution as a kit, right, a turnkey go bag we all love a good go bag yep. that can do something and for me uh when i first came up with this concept of rtac my judgment of success like if 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 i could check this box it meant i'm successful was if if an earthquake hits haiti or one of the caribbean countries if i can show up and map that hurricane i mean map that map that disaster zone map that area of operations and visualize it at the edge whether i got two headsets or 20 whatever um and then be able to help somebody that's actually got to do something on the ground there uh without requiring internet without Mm -hmm. requiring any you know clunky system like big tripods and stuff something that was light that i could take forward with me um then it was doing its job right then that meant it it was good enough so Mm -hmm. it's taken us a long freaking time to get it to that point we had to wait on some of the technology to get smaller right comms have gotten better edge servers have gotten smaller like 
this like for example this will run some of our server stuff now it's a damn tablet whereas yeah, yeah. you know two years ago we needed something that was like yep. you know square and box so as as everything has gotten smaller we've been able to put it into a kit in a pelican case and essentially ship it and uh, we've had a couple teams take it forward during uh partner force remote advise and assist missions um, where they've you know flown it down south and nothing else is providing that level of mobility or portability or deployability to point of need um, or uh, the standalone nature of it right so mm -hmm. we actually put it we put a drone in this thing that lets them create their own 3d maps yep that's what I was um, going to ask next next how yep. are you inputting this from aerial aerial views yeah typically uh, so <coughs> in an ideal world right and nobody lives in an ideal world but doctrine says we, we should think about it like there's somebody that should be giving us these 3D maps if we're the ODA. There's For somebody sure. else that should be doing that, right? Whether it's the, you know, who or who. But at the end of the day, they're not providing that fidelity or that 3D content uh, in, in the way that these guys need it, right? So yep. what they've ended up doing is, is like a good uh, you know, like a good 18 series guy. He figured out how to do it on his own. He'll go out and buy a drone. He'll download an app that makes lets him make the 3D map, and he'll find a way to, you know, within the within the within the law, uh, do what he needs to do. Mm -hmm. And um, so for us, we we had to adjust a little bit because my assumption going into this, Ryan, is like, oh, you got these great agencies that are just going to give you the the 3D map that, and you're just going to be able to suck it in, and like, oh. Port-au-Prince, we need a 3D map on Port-au-Prince. Pull it in. Yeah, right. You know, yeah. they, they may they may have great SAT, may have great, but but in order to make a good 3D, high quality 3D map, you, you need more than than what's currently being being collected. So, sure. um, so we started providing it as a service uh, as well. You know, we offer the, the drone and the kit, lets them do their own map, but we have a, a service that if you want us to to map something we'll make sure we get that map now uh, now how but, do you go about that you fly somebody over there with multiple drones and and you know get a map for them or or yeah, can you use sat imagery it's mission specific sat imagery is rarely going to cut it though right um you, usually you're going to need somebody within uh you know flight flight range now now the the next question to me especially since you're contracted with with socom and you're already in with dod is we have we have so many loitering uh, drone capabilities and yeah. uh, loitering uh, capabilities right now with 4K, you know, 4K yeah. uh, pods on them. My thought would be like, hey, we need to go into Mosul again. Okay, no problem. We send a hero drone up, but you know, something that's way out of sight, out of mind. They don't even know about it. This thing can stay in the air for four or five days if it needs to. Yeah. Uh, and it can fly around everywhere you need to do with that 4K camera and pull those... Uh, pull those pictures and then the question becomes what's the legality of that and oh, you know yeah i don't think the u.s government minds breaking rules if it's for national security obviously but uh, like how does that work and it, are you as a civilian you don't have a drone fleet like that so yeah. what is that like let's say i come to you as a customer and i say uh you know i want a map of you know whatever cartel family in mexico's compound how do you get that map then? Um, we would have to address that on a case by case basis. Check. Yeah, that would be that would be a challenging one, right? That would be a, mm -hmm. what we, we would consider a, a tough problem to solve. But uh, <clears throat> the short answer is, is it's usually going to be air. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, but that that. But you could have... facilitate that request 
and then load those maps to whoever the unit would be going down there. That's the idea. Roger. Yeah, I mean, ideally, they're doing this on their own, right? So we, we basically hand them the whole software back in. We say, here's how you load your maps, and we don't ever get to know Check. what they're doing or what they're mapping or where or when it's they do it. But the reality of the situation is they, they don't have enough enablers sometimes to, to do everything they need to do, even tactically. So yeah, how do yeah, you... Yeah, yeah. Um, so how do you add value? Um, and and the reality is a lot of that map data is um, there is there is people who are making that map data right. There are insurance companies. There's other there's other people who are flying these AOs. Mm -hmm. um, part part of the challenge, which you just described, is like we have the assets in the air already. We just need a good pipeline to generate 3D data from those assets. Yep. Um, the, that's half of it. The other half is like these drones aren't built for 3D mapping. So one obvious factors you usually have one camera on yeah, a drone right yeah yeah um what we do with photogrammetry in order to increase the speed we have at least five so there's four pointed to the sides and then one pointed straight down Check. and that allows us to get that 45 degree side of the building because you got to get the side of the building in order to be able to see to map you know, the... the door and the buildings yep. exactly so if you just have that straight in the deer um but with that said there are there are capabilities coming through the force that have uh you know, essentially video to 3D model. Check. You know, if you if you get a good orbit around a building, uh, you even use a commercial off the shelf stuff that you can Google right now. You put that video feed into this tool, and it's going to spit out a 3D map. The challenge is how do you do that at a massive scale, like a nation? How do you scale, scale? it? If we're just mm -hmm. if we're just talking about an embassy or a small building, like yeah, no problem, throw an orbit around it, and you're good. But <clears throat> when you want to do it, um, you know, thousands, you know, hundreds of square miles, that's when it comes into play that. You, you need more cameras to mm -hmm. get more efficiency so that you're you're not over the target for uh you're over the target for as little time as possible essentially sure. yeah yeah you know another you know just as you saying that as we're talking about it things are going through my mind of where this would have helped this would have helped in benghazi this would have helped in any attack that we ever had on an embassy in a in a foreign country and that's our land that we could absolutely fly you know high dollar drones around get that whole area mapped out we own all that and we're protecting that and then what you have is you have your you know your srt or your qrf on the inside saying tdg games all right if this happens from this area this is where we're going to move and like you said when you have the i think you said this earlier when you had the vr on me your yourself and and me could be moving pieces around saying well if this happens maybe we need to have this over here and then everybody with that headset or that or that tech can say, well, I like this idea or I don't like this idea. And it can kind of really play out. And then can you also record um, the nature of these meetings? Like, let's say we're all having a meeting and we're TDG in this thing out. And then I want to send that to somebody else that wasn't at the meeting. Is there the ability to do that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, we can do like screen, you know, a video of it. But what we usually do is we send them a saved file. In, in ARTAC that they open and then they get to see it play out, right? That's so, what I was asking, so that's beautiful, yeah. yeah. So uh, most of the time the briefs are live. Um, so when you got like a partner force commander briefing up the chain saying, hey, here's what we wanna, here's what we wanna do. Usually it's a live brief so they can say, you know, what's your contingency for this uh, and actually play it out in real time. But we have had cases where they've just emailed a, a, a video of the, the con ops or whatever. And this might be pie in the sky, but I'm thinking you're talking to SOCOM and you're talking about high priority, very high uh, specific style missions. And these are missions that a lot of times the Joint Chiefs want to be in on. Maybe the president wants to be in on. And if you could forward that plan to somebody and say, no, here's how jacked up this is if we don't have more people. 
Like, for instance, the Hamid Karzai International Airport disaster. Um, disaster at a very high level. Uh, provable. Um, mission planning was provably uh, flawed. Um, and then you could show that to the people that are saying, you know, you need less people. Like, no, sir, actually, we've, we, we've ran this whole game plan out, and it doesn't happen a good way with this many people. You're damn right. That's, that, that could have saved lives. And so, and, you know, you, you might not know much about my story, but, you know, I got out against my will, you know, kind of retired me against my will after getting a little banged up, and then I've kind of dedicated my life to this, to bringing, bridging the gap between the civilian and the military sector. And, and then showing the lethality capabilities that we do have and how we can use them and, and keeping these new guys in the mode and keeping the guys that are transitioning upbeat about what's going on, even though there may have been some failures towards the top in the last couple of years. And so when I see your company, when I research what the capabilities of your company are, it's something that I want to put out to people to say, hey, we can stop some of this needless mistake, these needless losses of life if we plan better. And this is a tool that we can plan better with. We're one day away from the next crisis where we go to respond and we realize, oh, shit, the plan that we made isn't tenable. Yeah. And who the fuck approved it, right? And did they even understand the situation on the mm-hmm. ground? And the answer, is, the answer is no, they didn't because usually the, the, the you know better than anybody, brother, this is three-dimensional at minimum, right? <laughs> Genetic warfare is very multidimensional. Very. And if you're looking at something on a 2D screen – time series data flat you don't understand the real situation and that's right we we spend years trying to paint the picture of our own country's challenges right you see in congress these guys will get up and and talk and talk just talking about like the situation in detroit or whatever the case and it's like they can't they can't even paint a picture of something that they can walk through imagine how, how challenging it is to paint a picture of this is the actual situation on the ground. I mean, if you go back to Desert One, if you go back to, to some of the very early failures in, in, um, uh, in JSOC and SOCOM, um, the lessons learned are, are, are we didn't paint a clear enough picture of the situation. Somebody understood. Somebody knew it. Mm-hmm. It's just that didn't make that didn't permeate to everybody else. Because when I say something, it doesn't always mean the same thing to you. Sure, I could say metal sign, and the first thing that comes to my mind is what's behind you, and somebody else thinks it's like a, a, a sign, a, sim, a sign, a billboard music. or something, or a, a billboard. Yeah, or yeah, something. yeah, yeah. And and it's just that the um, the ability to paint that picture as realistically as possible as a as a hologram um, is a game changer and in my opinion right and i think mm-hmm. from uh, um for, yeah for sure Break. yeah i mean I, I would even say i would go as far as to say yeah game changer for sure and i don't know what technologies dod had when they killed osama bin laden um but i can tell you what if they knew that building they knew every single map of that building and what was below and what was above and how many stories and they had loitering yep. Loitering drone uh, drones moving around it, they could have painted a much clearer picture for the insert if they didn't no have doubt. that. I'm not saying they didn't have something like that or they didn't have some kind of CIA footage or, you know, somebody in there. But having these capabilities takes more guesswork out of the equation. Yeah, um, we that's a good reference point I think to draw since there's a lot been publicly released, especially in the last couple of years about the the assault. Um, 
we all know they built compounds, right? They yeah. built these three, three fake. And, uh, and what that means is the elite team had access to what they needed. The most elite team that had to do what they needed to do, they could, they didn't need a hologram, right? They could literally go walk yeah. the facility all that they wanted. The problem is that the rest of the entire joint force, including our NATO allies, does not have access to right. the time or money or resources to go build compounds and then just train on them all day. So right. the reality was like, how do you bring that capability to the rest of the force? And it's simple. You fly a drone, you do some interior mapping if it's our own, and you allow people to chalk walk it at one-to-one -one scale and a hangar as if they're, you know, in as VR. As if they're there right now. As if they're there right now, now right? Now tell you, me this. How accurate looking is it? It's with live video, so it's exactly accurate, right? It's pretty It's pretty good. I mean, the, the quality is improving over time. Um, I wouldn't say it looks photorealistic. Okay. It's not photorealistic. But, so it, uh, it builds a digital overlay for you, though. So it's everything's the the same, but you're not looking at a live stream, live cut video correct. like from the yeah, drone. Yeah, it's okay. not a lot exactly. It's uh, it's what we call post processed. So mm -hmm. it'll it'll take the frames from that video, and it could be photos or video, but um, <laughs> and there's other forms, right? So it's not just electro optics or photography. You could be using lidar or other forms of collection, which use lasers to yeah, map. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, it's a it's a static geometry that you're looking at with like. Imagine just a sculpture that's been painted over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's not a, it's not being updated in real time. Now there are some elements like we have, you know, uh, map views where I could open up a panel and see the FMV feed, or I could see you know body cam footage. If I open up like a think about it as a TV in the sky, you just psh, and now I see that TV. Yeah. Um, but I'm looking down at the 3D maps. Yep. Yep. And then on, on that. So, um, but there, yeah, there's really two scenarios or or two modes i like to call it one is the vr like one-to-one -one scale where you're intimate with it you're literally chalk walking that as if you were walking the target um you know a foot in a foot in real life is a foot in digital but the other is god's eye view or 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 uh what i call the jock view where you pull it up in augmented reality and with augmented reality i can see you still you okay. know the the beauty of the beauty of AR is it's not a box over your head. Mm -hmm. Augmented reality is like smart glass. It's like nods. Okay. Where 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 I can still see the my surroundings, um, but I can put a hologram on my table or on my desk or in my room, right, or in the hangar. Um, so what we'll do is is, you know, ten guys will put on the headset, mm -hmm. and we can still see each other. We can still see the talk. We can still see the hangar, but we're also looking at this three D map in front of us, and that map is at you know, a lot smaller scale. So mm -hmm, it's, it's mm -hmm. maybe like maybe 50,000 to one or whatever they've loaded it in at. Um, but you could zoom in and zoom out as if you were like pinching a TV screen, but it's zooming a sure. 3D map. Yeah, that's dope. Try it that's to, dope. To really understand. I wish I had some video. Maybe we could uh, send you some video to clip in. Where were you at? You're in Florida? Yeah, Clearwater. So if I made it to Clearwater, you could let me look at it? Hell yeah. All right. Well, I got a trip to uh, I got a trip to Florida coming up here in just a couple of months, and uh, a couple of veteran buddies of mine and my 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 uh, my boys got a um, got a lot down there that he keeps like a like a wintertime you know uh, RV on that him and his family oh, right go on. down to. Yeah, yeah. and uh, we're about to go down and just make sure it was good after the storms and you know get it set up. Uh, maybe when I do that, I hit you up and we come and you know, take some footage, take some video, look at it, uh, whatever we can. And we can, yeah. we can release that out as well. Let's go. Yeah, dude, we'll do it. Okay. So talk to me more about, 
Um, t- okay, so RTAC is stands for what? It's the Augmented Reality Tactical Assault Kit. Okay. Uh, some of y'all might know the TAC, Tactical or Team Awareness Kit within the, the DOD. It's like a – think about it as Google Maps for uh-huh. – the military uh-huh. it shows you where you're at, shows you where your guys are. So we called it AR tag because it really took that concept of a 2D map with dots on it for your SA and extended it into uh, in an in a augmented reality. But it works in virtual. It works still works on a phone. Like our Apple still run on a regular tac- a tactical phone in mm-hmm. um, 2D mode and stuff. It works on a computer. So it's not, not like it's limited to AR. Uh-huh. And that's one of the things that makes us different. You know, Ryan, across the DOD, you see it all the time where in all the government where they build a solution for one platform for one mission. And it doesn't you – know, it's like, hey, can I use this for my mission on this computer? Like, no, you can't use it for your mission or mm-hmm. working around on that computer. And we tried to make this thing so it was extensible enough where if we built it for Army SF who used this computer and then the Greenberg and, – and then, you know, SEALs come in and say, hey, we want to use it and we use different computers. It would be very easy to – Would make it – Make, make it compatible, it, right? so, yeah. Yeah, and whether it's changing some of the features so that now we could see some underwater stuff, uh, and then of course making it run on a a Mac or whatever the seals want to use for that day, right? Uh, <laughs> is, is gonna be uh, <laughs> is gonna be key, right? The way you said um, that is, are they pre Madonnas when you work with them? I love the seals, man. I do I too, but uh, they like short shorts and tans and yeah, and MacBooks. <laughs> Hey, at least their phones ring. My Android hasn't worked for three days. So. Hey, I hear you. Uh, I hear you. <laughs> no, nah, I really do. That's a, a hell of appreciation for what those guys do. You know, um, I think uh, it, it struck me one day when somebody said that they'd spent three and a half weeks underwater. Oh, wow. How serious these guys and, and just how we don't know what they really you know, so a lot of what they do. We just don't know. And it, we can. Uh, watch the movies and stuff all day and mm-hmm. and uh and and read their books but they got a challenging mission underwater man and, that's a fact uh, that's a fact now l- let me ask you this you said make some make some switches and and maybe we can get some underwater stuff is that stuff you already do yeah recently you can we've map been, the ocean yeah so for us if somebody else can map it Okay. We can display it, right? Okay. We're, and and we played with some visualization, uh, excuse me, some collection capabilities. Um, I'm a avid fisherman, so I've probably used all kinds of different sonars and side looking things. I've even got one of my kayak that I can tow yeah, behind yeah. me, and uh, it it maps the depth. And what we're able to do is display that in AR tech. Um, but the fidelity is a challenge. You know, we really we don't have yet in the marketplace a underwater autonomous scanner that's good enough to do what i want it to do but yeah man i want to let one of those loose as like a swarm in tampa bay and then just <laughs> see where all the treasure is right yeah man and then literally walk the bottom of the the fishing holes that i fish every week <laughs> um you know it's gonna happen I, and i think so much of the world is covered in ocean and so much of the uh you know gpc 2030 and competition is centered around naval mm-hmm. and water stuff that uh we gotta we gotta figure that out but yeah imagine being able to you know mission plan taking your submarine through the mariana trench or navigating around you know that some of the areas in the south china sea are really tough to navigate underwater i I think so um 
Yeah, you and I'm, you... I'm sure there's still ordinance in the water in many places and, and set up. And, you know, the more that it looks like the Pacific is where we're going to go. And, you know, Gunnar LaRose made a good point. We never get the war that we want, but always the war that we, you know, end up getting or needing. Yes, and, um, and it, you know, a lot of the writings on the wall to, 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 to be around water. Um, yeah. Uh, in the next, uh, in the next campaign, it, you know, we guess it wrong. So it might be back in the desert, but, um, I think all the writing looks like China, especially with Taiwan and you know, things. It's a, it's a, it's a very contentious time right now. So it's definitely the time to make sure that we have all the best, uh, assets and capabilities, you know, at our, at our hands, at our fingertips. So, um, what does time look like? I know you guys just signed a new contract with DOD with, with SOCOM, um, with soft. So what does that look like and how long is the contract? And then kind of give me a start point where we're at now and where we look to go as this contract yeah. unfolds. So this is the initial fielding of our uh, augmented reality tactical assault kit. Mm -hmm. It is uh, the follow on from a prototype project that we did in 2020. We started a uh, essentially a 12 month rapid prototyping effort that was funded by SOCOM where uh, we validated that this thing met their requirements by the end of it. And then they made the determination to field that at a, at a larger scale, right? So we gave them one unit. They're like, heck yeah, we want more of this. Mm -hmm. um, during that time, we, we really were engaged with the community already. So during that whole prototyping period, uh, we were in with every component saying, here's what we got, what do you think? And then come back two weeks later, Roger, we got your feedback. Here's where it's at. What do you think? And we would just rinse, wash, repeat. So by the end of it, we had something that the components all wanted. Like there was no dispute about whether or not they wanted this. It was who's going to own it. It was who's going to fund it. It's where's the requirement. Yeah. It was all the nonsense. All the procurement nonsense. The procurement nonsense, right? So fortunately, because it was a, we got a real unique prototyping contract where um, it's called an other transaction agreement. I think we were third or fourth one SOCOM ever did. But essentially, they allow us to convert that to production much faster and, okay. and start fielding it much faster than would otherwise be the case. Um, so there was, for example, no competition required to go from the prototype to the production because mm -hmm. they'd already competed it way back. So there was no need for a six-month you know, response window and industry and then bidding. Uh, and then we were able to interact with the customer directly, which is rare. So me, you know me and you imagine you're the the guy who i'm trying to sell this thing to if in a normal government situation i can't talk to you too much and you can't talk to me too much there's a line there yeah. that people about what you need and that's bullshit like if my job is to make a solution that's going to help you come home safe you got to talk to me about like what you need right Absolutely. but then there's this but there's a trepidation usually where people are like oh i don't want to get my dick slap because i'm not in contracting so i can't tell this vendor mm -hmm. what to build mm -hmm. well within within our customer base we created that trust where these guys were like bro if you can make that do this <laughs> yeah 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 you know and it's like all right roger that and then an hour later we have it instead yeah. of going through some nonsensical eight shop to the yep. requirements to mod the contract to so that contract vehicle gave us a lot of freedom of movement which mm -hmm. was key really mm -hmm. key to success and um <clears throat> we kept building it and essentially, uh, eventually, SOCOM made the the final determination to fund it and 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 move it. So what that's doing, I can't get into details about where they're going, mm -hmm. partially because I don't have all the all the information yet. It's still uh, being 
situation is fluid. Sure, sure. As we like to say, um, but the the key is there's a you know a, a lot of these kits, um, both at the different configurations. Some of them are smaller. Some are built for command centers, COCOM types. Some are built for a smaller DA. But there's a bunch of them that are going out. They're going to be shipping within the next three months. Um, so here in Clearwater, we're uh, position ourselves to start packaging and, and, and configuring and delivering those out of Florida uh, instead of relying on any other third party. And we're going to ship those for about three months. And then we have to provide, it's a three-year contract. So what okay. we've um, what we've entered into is essentially a, um, a three-year software agreement where they're licensing the software for three years. They're using us for the tech support. You know, we got a 24-7 hotline where if a dude needs help, he's literally just going to call the number and, and it's going to round rob until someone answers it for the next three years. And um, from there, the uh, the last requirement is helping them to understand the next course of actions mm -hmm. to, to get this scaled across the joint force and NATO, right? Because at the end of the day, this is a multi-domain situational awareness tool. It tracks perfectly with this whole JADC2, Joint All-Domain Command and Control. It tracks perfectly with NATO's idea of the data-driven battlefield and mosaic warfare and all that stuff. Um, and the idea that, like, America, could, me and you, could be sitting here advising, you know, our partners and in the UK or vice versa with Australia and mm, Israel on mm. the same, on the same room. And, you know, just the amount of, uh, logistics that, that if you've ever had to book a ticket in the DOD travel shop, mm. the amount of logistics it takes just to get all these people in one spot is absurd. So we think that, uh, you know, by, by 2026, our goal is to be permeated across all NATO. Um, we're taking a real slow approach to make sure the product meets our initial customer's requirements mm -hmm. needs first. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We want to take care of our babies, uh, SOCOM, uh, our COCOMs, expanding out from there into the conventional military, and then and from there into our 5i partners, and from there into our uh, our NATO partners where it makes sense. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that uh, definitely in the joint commands, when we have like an access and allies type situation come up in the future, having everybody on the same piece of, you know, same sheet of music and looking at the same terrain models is going to be key, especially with big logistical movements and big armies uh, uh, coming together. Now, tell me this, maybe because of the nature of the tech, it can't be, but can police and law enforcement use this too? Or are you pushing that angle for them? SRTs yeah, and quick re reaction force SWAT things like yeah. that. What it really comes down to, man, and it's a sad reality, but uh, you know that there's always this, a group of people who get the nice toys first. Yeah, yeah. Who get the nice tech first, yeah, right? Yeah. And unfortunately, our our uh, our law enforcement community and and especially local in the last four years has been uh, pretty forgotten about. Yeah. You know, we we failed to remember the the hundreds of lives lost and law enforcement every year I, I don't have this year's numbers but i track those track those numbers every year and it's usually more than we've uh we've lost and and other types of engagements where uh where we're focusing so the reality is uh we've got to make this cheaper for them we've mm -hmm. got to make it and by cheaper i mean less more affordable right, right. we've got to make this and we've got to make it um maybe scaled down yeah, so, so part of it is they face different title authorities here domestically too. You yeah, know, yeah, that's why I was asking what can you what yep. can you legally fly around a drone and look at and map yep. and, and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Now, what's really interesting, uh, domestically, 
if if you go in AR tech uh, and all of our the vast majority of our data comes from open sources where we can buy we either buy it from somebody from Maxar from some and we're fusing it all together but our data on America is freaking phenomenally high resolution and, and accurate like if you go to new york you can walk the streets you can read the bodega signs if you go to tampa you could literally you know see the type of boat some of the boats you could see the names on the side of the boat and, and you're talking about like zooming in from seeing the whole globe to zooming all the way down to tampa and i could see that but if i'm a cop in tampa i can't just go fly a drone no get yeah, that yeah. Data because right. that's that's some type of like I don't even know what law I'm breaking, but I'm sure there's some intelligence collection law that they're not allowed to do that. So unless Warren or whatever. So and but if you go online, they can get this data. Open right? source. So there's, a, yeah. there's a weird space where I, I truly believe that we need to do a better job of providing our local law enforcement with what's already out there. They mm -hmm. just don't know it exists. Mm -hmm. And when, when we meet with some of these sheriff's offices and, and especially the tactical teams that have to deal with warrants, uh, they would love to be able to like, Oh, I could just see what's in the backyard before our raid. Mm -hmm. I can see what the, where the fence is or his potential, his squirter path, right. Yep. Where he's going to run. Yep. And maybe I could set up a blocking position in the back and just push him out. <laughs> For sure. They'd love that. So, and then, oh, wait a minute, you could get somebody from SOCOM to help you plan that mission on the fly while you're moving mm -hmm. remotely. And mm -hmm. it's a, it already happens, right? If you have a, I mean, I'm sure there's, there's hostage rescue teams um, across different components that come together to help. Mm -hmm. um, or, I mean, that's the extreme. I'm talking hostage rescue now, vice warrant seizure but um, yeah, but like a high profile warrant seizure where it's a dangerous situation. I want all the knowledge that I could get. You go out there to what the guys have to deal with in Arizona and California and West Texas with the air, with the cartels, man. I mean, those are crazy. <laughs> you could be walk, you could be walking in on on fifty to a hundred armed dudes, you know, yeah, heavily heavily armed dudes, and you're just a small police force. Yeah, uh, that's right. But that's so right. in short, we we're very adamant about pushing it to that market. We got to find a business model that makes that that makes it work, you know. And part of it is uh, the more that we sell, the less the the less expensive it is to maintain it. Sure, sure. I talked to uh, I talked to Conflict Kinetics about that too. Like, what can we do? And they're trying the same thing. And maybe instead of having a whole gunfighter gym where you have all the assets, maybe you just have like a one panel team trainer, right? You, yep. and, and you're right. It's about making it affordable for them because they've been crushed the last three to five years on funding, on budgeting, on yeah. esteem, prestige, you know, all of the you know, pride, all of that's been, been kind of, hammered lately and um my I, I, it, it's near and dear to me because my my little brother is a cop in ohio in franklin county one of the largest uh jails out there and trying to transition over to swat and yeah, that's that's my that's my brother man i need my brother to have the best technology especially in the ways of the world for the cops right now you know in america it's just not a good it, i i i even presented cops I, I was just up in franklin county talking teaching that their uh they're a peace officers academy. I've done that for the last three years, and I tell them right up front, I appreciate what you do because you are not uh, rewarded for your efforts in the right way, in my opinion. Like, you, we live in a nation that wants to string you up, both the good ones and the bad ones for whatever reason. Um, and we need to change that. And if we can't change that, we at least need to give them the technology to be as safe as they can be um, to get back to their families. Uh, so yeah. so the, 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 the police thing is something... Um, uh, that's very near and dear to me. I got a lot of police, uh, in my family. So, um, 
talk to me about uh, talk to me about what happens after this three years. The idea would be right after this three years, they re up a new contract and things begin to scale, and we get out to the joint force. Is my is my guess right? Yeah. So this um, this contract is unique in a sense that it's not just focused on this delivery. Um, it's not just for the X number of kits or N number of kits that they're buying here. It, it's it's a vehicle for the entire U.S. government as well as our partners to mm-hmm. acquire more more of these kits. Mm-hmm. Uh, so essentially, any time that somebody else moving forward wants to buy. ARTAC, whether it's FBI, hostage rescue, or Customs and Border, they can go to SOCOM to get it. What do they and lease they out have, their their gear? No, it's essentially they have to pay for it, right? They have to bring money to the table. Mm-hmm. But it's that it's that SOCOM has that agreement with us to mm-hmm. provide SOCOM with this. And because of the type of contract it is, it's way faster for them. So like if CBP was to try to put out a solicitation for, you know, mission planning and, and border visualization of the border or whatever mm-hmm. it would take you know a year to even get something started even if they had the money just because of the way contracting works but now because of this contract customs at border could call socom and say hey i want to buy you know 10 of ar tech starter kits say roger send us the money and then it's a day versus a, a day year, right a, a day for all you procurement officers out there that are working at the upper <laughs> echelons trying to get things squared away look into this different what's this this kind of contract called you said it's something been... uh, yeah it's an other transaction agreement or an ota um they came out of the kennedy days with the space race when uh when kennedy wanted to cut down a lot of the bureaucracy because we're sitting here and it's like i need a better screw that's two inches smaller it's like it'll be six months yeah it's like, what the fuck i can make you one is well that's not the same as what you asked for so we have to recompete it yeah. well finally he said no nah, uh other transaction agreements are way to go essentially they they allow you to compete a prototype and say hey if anybody wants to build a prototype here's what we need um and if you build it and then they select you and you win uh and you know, obviously they have to award you funding and you do it. But but if you build it and you're successful, at that point they're able to transition it to what they call production way faster. And I'll point out, like, in prototyping can mean different things to different people, just like we were talking about sure. metal. A prototype cup, you might think, like, look like this. And then they said, now I want a million of them. Go make me a million. Um, and we knew what the cup was supposed to look like from the beginning, right? I want to smoky mountain logo i want it to be black i want to make me a prototype well within our space where technology is changing so fast uh-huh. you don't know you don't know what the prototype is going to look like when you start mm-hmm. you have no clue so the, so so the problem is if if i'm a requirements guy like the h shop or the the acquisitions and i have to write the requirement for i need a cup that has a logo on it. It's easy if I know everything that exists yeah. on the market. I know there's clay. I know the the color. I need this kind of paint. I even know how glossy I want it. But but with AR, VR, with visualizing some new form of data or like a whole new concept of a hologram, like what are we gonna do? Look at a sci-fi movie and say that's what I want? Yeah, yeah. But because so what ends up happening if they try to write that requirement normally using the federal acquisition regulation processes they'd say okay mike i need a mission planning system that uses the hololens one and that uses this technology and then by the time they're by the time you start the work hololens three has come out yep yep <laughs> yep and they're like wait a minute 
we don't and then the next so then you're like sir we got to change the contract to do hololens 3 roger three weeks later maybe okay we're good hololens 3 now but then all of a sudden instead of head mounted displays there's a projector that's making holograms it's like i don't want this headset anymore why yep. the hell are we buying a headset yeah well that was the requirement initially so well we got to go back and ask for something different called the projector and when they do that, the whole thing has to start from square zero, and they got to go back and yep. okay, we're no, we're now we're looking for a projector-based mission planning system instead of a head. And that whole process—that's why we end up so far behind the technological curve in most of these in most of these areas where where we need to catch up. Um, so OTAs—they uh, became a—they uh, became a. Um, a buzzword really in the last two three years uh cross army started using them a lot the defense innovation unit started using them a lot congress has been slapping back a little bit at some of the uh flagrant use of them but at, the, at their core they're really meant for small businesses ryan they're not meant to be delivered by a big firm mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. and it's almost a trust fall right it's a trust fall where a business can do what they want to do without the government like uh checking every little little step of the process yeah but 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 rather said like hey it's big boy rules the goal is to make a tool that helps us understand the ao go yeah um, yeah i like that so i that like OTA, that ta yeah that's hopefully that helps to understand the the difference there it, that that cleared it up for me i hope it cleared it up for a lot a lot of the uh the viewers here because it, procurement is just one of those things and i've heard this story uh, that you're saying from several different contractors saying, you know, by the time we can even get their initial wants handled, their wants have changed because of how long it takes them to procure the money, the grants, the, you know, the timeline, uh, you know, clear everything, get the red tape and the bureaucracy out of the way so that we can make this thing. And so if OTAs is the way, OTAs is the way, um, just make sure you're, you know, I, I'm sure that when you're going into the, like the prototype method, if you have a bunch of undeliverables, you're not going to get selected as the winner. Um, yeah. but it's, a, I mean, if you, if you start, so this, this is how I would handle it. If I was in their shoes, um, if a company fails consistently, <laughs> You don't work with them, right? Um, it, it doesn't seem like that's the way we 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 do business, though. No. It seems like we pick a company, they fail to deliver five years into a contract, and then, you know, we put a new contract up there. The same company says, "I'll undercut everybody," and then they got five more years of funding to to, yeah. to deliver a, a product that is not even an eighty percent solution. And yeah. so, I mean, no, I, I'm not complaining about this, but I, I will say that, like, if Eolian was to fail a task order, it would probably ruin us right mm -hmm, as a firm mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um and and we've delivered 30 plus you know task orders on our on our stuff everything from our tech to to stuff that does ai for computer vision text like sure we've done a lot of other stuff right besides ar and vr but the reason that we keep getting engaged is because we keep succeeding in the mission right we're delivering. And we, keep, yep. we deliver and and i think that <laughs> big the the booze allens of the world can leak you know, national secrets and still win trillions of dollars worth of contracts. And as a small business, we, we really live and die based on our next task order mm -hmm. and the government that, that, but that's how teams operate too, bro. Yep. You're only as good as your next mission. Like it doesn't matter how many times you failed, succeeded. If you all blow up on this one, it's over. Right. right. So, um, so, so go win every time. That's and right. that's that attitude. I think 
uh, it's hard. You know, you gotta you gotta find people that just trust the business. It's 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 abnormal for government to operate like this, yeah. where they're just like, um, you know, very vague and let you go drive the requirement. But the the flip side of it doesn't work either. You know, I've I've had contracts with the government said we're gonna give you feedback every two weeks and you're gonna meet with these teams and they're gonna they're gonna help you along the way and the, you know they can't fulfill that side of it. So yeah industry what is what are you going to do as industry just be like oh, okay we're good no yeah. you're going to go out there and get the feedback yourself you're going to show up at fort benning or or, or joint base loose mccord or wherever you got to be to get the feedback that's right and i think i think a lot of firms forget that like you're in this to support those dudes and if the government doesn't get you access or feedback you better go get it yourself yeah nobody's going to help you yeah. no bro that's it nobody's we're helping here. just out of the goodness of their heart that's a fact especially in a cutthroat industry where people are trying to square away millions or billions of dollars from the government. Um, yeah, be on your game. That's a fact. Well, man, we've been going for about an hour and I feel like I have a way better understanding for Eolion and what you do. And I, I I'm serious. If I, uh, if I can get down in the next 60 or 90 days down to Florida, I'm going to get down there and I'm gonna hit you up. Cause I want to, I want to check this out. And I think that I think that generally speaking, and, and, you know, maybe, maybe this makes me sound bad, maybe not. But generally speaking, you don't get this red tape buff back by guys that are in procurement and acquisitions who have been to combat, who have seen real combat. In my experience, it's those guys that want everything for those troops and they care nothing about the money, only about does your product work and if it can save lives, I want to have it to my guys. Yep, you're damn right, man. And the problem is we have a lot of people in procurement and acquisitions that have never been to combat, have never lost a friend, have never been shot, have never been close to a, to a, you know, a low debt IED, have never been caught in a, you know, a near ambush. And then we have freshmen, you know, Congress people, both men and women who don't believe that war is real. And they're the ones that fund us. Um, and so this is, you know, my effort, my aim at making sure they know what's out there, what those things can do for the, for the active hitters that are going down range and providing a blanket of freedom that they don't even understand. Um, so I, from the bottom of my heart, myself, Matt, we, we appreciate you taking the time this morning to come on, talk about Eolion, talk about what you have with augmented reality, with virtual reality and, and artificial intelligence and the like. Um, I wish you guys uh, all the luck uh, in the future because it's, it's national treasures that are, are weighing their skin in on this game. So um, again, Michael, thanks for coming out, man. Thanks for taking the time. And, um, I'm going to shoot you some personal information of mine so that we don't have to keep communicating on social, uh, social media. And, yeah. and then we can cool. set up a trip to kind of check this stuff out and kind of show everybody, uh, the things that at least that we can show them. Yeah, man, it's been an honor. I appreciate you letting us share the story. Um, encourage you to get out here and hopefully Absolutely. by then i'll have a nice boat to go out fishing on or something hey i will not <laughs> complain about that i promise you that i love me some All fishing right, so hey appreciate it and until next time guys choices not chances choices not chances later well that concludes this episode thanks for listening to choices not chances podcast please share like and subscribe wherever you listen or watch our podcast you can also follow us on social media at choices not chances podcast Thanks, and have a great day. Louisiana Gun Shop, your firearm headquarters, specializing in concealed carry guns, ammo, and training. You can get your Louisiana permit with us. Also, a large selection of AR-15s, or if you are that build-it-yourself type of guy or gal. 
We have all the parts to build and customize your own AR-15. Glock, Sig, Taurus, Ruger. We have all the brands, both in the store or at louisianagunshop.com. Not too far. You're marking a building. Hit him. Yeah, that's good. That's a good shot. That's a funny, funny shot. Yeah. Funny.